We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee, and we are sponsored by Cooperage Brewing in Santa Rosa. Go visit the brewery. Great vibes down there at the brewery. You can also order your beer at cooperagebrewing.com. They will overnight your beer to you. Must be 21 years of age. And uh, for a midweek pod, we're going to look at the 49ers schedule. This Falcons game is is super intriguing. We'll talk a little bit about that. But it's also an extremely important game, given what is what is coming up for San Francisco. And we'll talk about what it means for their place in the NFC and NFL hierarchy. Let's dive in. Blue Liar. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Has got him in a second back inside the 30 yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13 yard loss. Quick pass caught by Kittle. He dives and he's in. Touchdown 49ers. I hate doing schedule stuff in the middle of the season because it's like, yeah, hey, we've known the schedule. But after five weeks, we have a lot better idea of like what the schedule looks like. And what teams are good and what teams aren't like you can speculate a little bit at the beginning of the year, but like this Atlanta game coming up on on Sunday, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into that on uh, on the end of the week pod. But that was a game I think. I mean, the Niners are still favored and they should still win, but given where the 49ers are at injury wise and and what Atlanta has done this season, it's like oh man, that's suddenly a tougher game, but. It's maybe the easiest game, quote unquote, left on their schedule. Maybe, depending on how you feel about the Rams. Yeah, I, I mean, what's interesting about the game to me, and it definitely might be right. Like it, when you look at it, just sort of the, the way things stand right now in terms of quality of opponent and certain spots like this is this is probably their most winnable game over the foreseeable future, maybe depending on how you feel about Seattle or Arizona even. Um, they do host Washington on Christmas Eve. Uh, but even so, that, even that Seattle game's on the road on a Thursday. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but this one's really interesting because it's kind of like the Niners have had a relatively easy early portion of their schedule, and you could make a pretty 
substantial case that they should be better than three and two. They should probably be four and one or even five and oh. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the Bears aren't good, the Seahawks aren't good, the Broncos aren't good, the Rams are not what they have been, or at least aren't right now. Uh, and Carolina just fired their coach, and the Niners are three and two. Now, I still think the Niners are one of the best teams in the NFC, and I maintain that it wouldn't surprise me at all if they made a deep run through the playoffs again, barring health. But this Falcons game is interesting because it's the last one before you get Kansas City at home. You have to go to play the Rams. Um, You have your bye week. You host the Chargers, go to Arizona, host the Saints, host the Falcons, host the Buccaneers. Like there are from here on out a lot of games that we're going to learn more about the 49ers and how good they are than I think we might have during the first five games of the season because a lot of those teams weren't that good. And like, Mm -hmm. I don't think obviously you want to beat Chicago and you want to beat Denver given the way they've played this season. But I feel like we're going to come out of this viewing those games come like come out of this season viewing those games more as outliers like early season weird things happen yeah um but we're gonna learn a lot given the schedule maybe even starting in atlanta but we're gonna learn a lot about the 49ers based on this schedule and and where they really stack up because i do think they're one of the better teams in the nfc like i said but they do have some pretty substantial tests that could either elevate them or knock them down a peg or two we're going to get a really good idea this year. It felt like in 2019, you know, they beat the heck out of the Packers and they had a, they had a couple of nice wins. They, you know, they go to, they go to new Orleans and they pull that game out. And it's just like this year. It, we knew this middle portion of the schedule was coming and Kansas city is as good as we thought the Rams, you know, it's a divisional game on the road. So regardless of how they're playing, that's tough. And then the Chargers are still super talented and and Justin Herbert by himself can beat any team in the league. It the concern is still there for sure that like, oh, those losses to Chicago and Denver might be really bad. Like that could that could be the difference between them winning the division and not. Or um perhaps making the playoffs and not depending on what the injury situation looks like for the 49ers. But I think that makes Sunday's game. You don't want to, you don't want to go into that stretch of chiefs Rams by week chargers. You don't want to go into that stretch going like, Hey, they need to go three and now, which is, I think kind of how it would feel if they go to three and three and they lose to Atlanta. But it's also why, their game against the Panthers resonated so much with me because they looked more like the 49ers from last year, from, from late last year in that game. And it's fascinating because I have a couple different things I want to talk about. Um, let's start with Jimmy Garoppolo. The Panthers game is super interesting for him because his dot was 8.6 his average depth of target, which is not, you know, it's not, that's not crazy, but it's also not um, as low as we've seen for him. He's typically what around six. Yeah. Between like six and seven. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't, I don't have his career numbers in front of me, but he was way better under pressure than he normally is. 
he had four completions on 10 attempts under pressure in the previous two games and then went five of nine with no turnovers and a touchdown against Carolina under pressure. He was way better against the Panthers in non-play action than he was in play action. And the reason all of this matters is it might be a one-game sample size. And it might just be, hey, the Panthers didn't have a great defensive game plan and the 49ers had a good game plan and 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 beat them even though Garoppolo is doing things he doesn't normally do or it allowed him to do things he do- doesn't normally do rather but it's fascinating because if that's just what the Niners offense is going to be where Garoppolo isn't <laughs> we've talked about this before right no quarterback is great under pressure. Every quarterback sees their numbers dip some when there's bodies around them. Like that's just kind of the what happens. But Garoppolo sees a fall off of like unplayable NFL quarterback under pressure. And that's not great. If he can just be serviceable with bodies around him, that's a huge improvement for the 49ers. Like I said, I think we talked about that on the last pod. If they can get yards from him without play action, that's a big deal too because now they're not as reliant on the run game and now they're even harder to defend because you talk about Kyle Shanahan being multiple and Kyle Shanahan doing things um, deceptive to defenses with, with formations and personnel and stuff. If he can just drop Garoppolo back and have him be good without having to turn his back to the defense that just opens a lot of doors for for this 49ers offense and those those are the things that when you look at the Carolina game and then you look at the rest of the schedule it's like oh they could by the end of this be dominant and just very convincingly one of the two or three best teams in the league or even with Garoppolo you're putting him in the conversation with the Bills and the Chiefs and and pick a good team Yeah, if he can function within the confines of the offense without making mistakes, I think that's ultimately the biggest key because we do know that he can operate the offense. What It's not like when the offense... like Jimmy Garoppolo can be efficient. He can be efficient enough for them to win games. I think that's kind of been the whole story, right? Mm -hmm. There are limiting factors when you're playing him, but the biggest issue with him is the interceptions like the mistakes, Mm -hmm. because ultimately when you make those mistakes, those are like your defense is good enough to where if you play NFL average level of offense without turning the ball over, you're going to be incredibly difficult to beat. Right. 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 If you're giving the ball away and putting your defense in compromising situations, then that becomes a lot more difficult. One of the things that's just really confounding to me is the fact that he just never throws the ball away. Or will throw like a strategic incompletion like, oh, there's a guy triple covered. I'm just going to throw it at his feet where nobody can get it and live to fight another down or see another down. And he just will make the throw, try to thread an impossible needle, and then it'll get batted in the air and intercepted or whatever. Like it's never, you know, one of the things that really separates Aaron Rodgers from a lot of the other quarterbacks is like he is super willing to avoid 
he's super willing to just avoid making mistakes. Like he will mm-hmm. throw it away. He will um he will dirt a pass in the ground on purpose. Like Jimmy Garoppolo never throws the ball away. He so, never does. It never happens. He <laughs> never rolls out and just like chucks it 20 yards out of bounds. Like that's never anything that happens with him. And it's really, really odd because it's like you watch him play and you see him roll out and move and like have to evade pressure and things like that. And it's always just like, oh, no, something really bad's about to happen. Something really bad's about to happen. And then <laughs> boom, something really bad happens. Do you think that that's a matter of awareness and just like football IQ? Or is it a just even though we've seen him make a ton of mistakes in those situations, just like an undying faith in his quick release that like, hey, this quick release and the arm strength that he does have, it's not elite, but it's fine. The the arm talent that he has are good, like, oh, I can still make a play out of this. It's just trying to do too much, in my opinion. Sure. Like in any walk of life, like where there there are points where I think all of us do a little bit too much. <laughs> you know, and I think with Jimmy, what? it's like sometimes he feels like he just has to he he has to complete every pass. And it's like, no, man, like nothing's there. You don't need to throw it into triple coverage to Debo. Like you just dirt this ball and then, you know, like call another play and then see what happens. Right. But it's that to me is, I think, one of the most frustrating things about Jimmy Garoppolo, because that stuff is like correctable. Mm -hmm. It's easy to, you know, it's easy for us to say, obviously, but like that stuff is easily fixable. So like, hey, Jimmy, instead of trying to force it when it's not there, just throw just throw an incompletion sure. throw it into the ground. Um, and that's one of the things that Aaron Rodgers does, has, who he has done throughout his entire career. Tom Brady does it like the great quarterbacks know when it's not there year and after they don't year, always force it year after year. If you I think pro football reference has it, I'm going to go grab him right now. But year over year, if you look at the league leaders in throwaways, it's always at the top. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, um, pick pick a pick a good quarterback. It's almost always those players up near the top of the of the the throwaway list. A good list to be on. League leader in throwaways. Yeah, and and I do wonder if there's an element of like, like is is there an element of that's how Kyle Shanahan coaches it, right? Because every other every other well, I'm not saying Shanahan <clears throat> tells him not to throw it away, but you know when it comes to running backs, right? It's like always hit hit the hole as hard as you can, mm-hmm. right? When it comes to receivers or even George Kittle, like after the catch, it's like run through. 10 guys faces like be really aggressive with the ball in your hands mm-hmm. um is there just a mentality that's sort of instilled that focuses so much on reckless abandon to the point that it's like detrimental and i wonder if if that's if that's an element of it but i don't know that that's really hard to say because like on the other hand too there are elements of kyle shanahan that are really conservative Sure. Like particularly when it comes to like end of half decision making, um, 
or you know fourth down s- scenarios whether to punt or so i don't know it's it's tough to say but i think to me like if Jimmy Garoppolo just threw the ball away two more times a game than he typically does which is like never then uh-huh. i do think the I, I do think we would see a significant drop in like Jimmy Garoppolo's just turnovers or turnover worthy throws I only have the the team stats for this, but throwaway leaders this season. Aaron Rodgers tied with uh, Derek Carr. The Packers and Raiders are tied with 12 throwaways. The 49ers have three. That's the same amount as <clears throat> the Chicago Bears, the Houston Texans, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. What do those three teams have in common? Horrible. Uh, not good quarterback. <laughs> the only teams with fewer are Dallas, are, are Dallas, who's been rolling with uh, something named Cooper Rush for the last few weeks and winning, by the way. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, who I think uh, it's been Jameis Winston with a broken back. And the corpse of Andy Dalton. Uh, the New England Patriots who it's uh it's it's Mac Jones who is struggling a little bit out the gate and Bailey Zappi and then the Rams uh who who have had a, a an abysmal offense to start the year right stats right so i i think really like what Jimmy Garoppolo's unwillingness to throw it away does is i mean it forces them to be super successful within the structure of the offense right because Jimmy Garoppolo is not a good quarterback outside the structure of the offense. When things break down, when he faces pressure, when he has to leave the pocket and scramble a little bit while he's trying to keep his eyes downfield and make plays, that's not his strength because that's when he's most prone to making errant throws that could get picked off, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, the good thing for the 49ers is they have an elite play caller and elite skill position guys. So like if you can figure out a way, if you're Kyle Shanahan to make sure Jimmy Garoppolo is getting the ball out on time and on schedule within three seconds, then you're fine. If your game plan is being thwarted by the defense and Jimmy Garoppolo has to double pump and hold onto the ball and escape the pocket and feel that pressure because he's unwilling to throw the ball away you're putting your offense in a precarious situation, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, there's just a lot of pressure to execute, but they do have those skill guys. They do have a really good coach when it comes to dialing up those plays. Mm-hmm. It's just a harder needle to thread sure. um, in the passing game with that. And I, and I think just to kind of bring this all back to the, to the whole schedule thing, if Garoppolo is going to be as good as he was on Sunday, in those situations where he's usually not as good, everything we're talking about right now, maybe not so much the throwaways. I think that's just kind of a of a Jimmy thing. But when you talk about the playmakers and your quarterback making plays, like like Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be Josh Allen or Patrick Holmes. When the 49ers play the Chiefs, their offenses are going to look very different just by virtue of the quarterback play, right? But the idea that, okay, the Niners, the reason the Niners went up and got Trey Lance is because they think he can be a quarterback 
that, hey, they're going to stay in games with Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert, although they're all in the AFC, but they're going to they're going to hang in with those teams because they have a quarterback that can also make plays with Garoppolo. It's can he do what he did Sunday in Carolina? And if you tell me, yeah, hey, in week seven, when they play the Chiefs, he's going to play exactly like he did against the Panthers. I really like the 49ers chances to win that game where he's not turning the ball over. He's effective under pressure. He's throwing the ball downfield a little bit. And that makes the run game better. Like their their second half runs have been so much better since Denver because Garoppolo has been better in both of those games. And if he's going to play like that, like he did on Sunday, the back end of their schedule or this portion of their schedule that we're talking about right now, where do they go? Atlanta, Kansas City, Rams by Chargers. That becomes a lot less daunting. And I think it's pretty telling that that's, that's just kind of the 49ers over the last five years, four years. It's like, how good are they? Well, it depends on Jimmy. <laughs> right. That's been the takeaway so far. The 49ers are exactly the same team as they were in 2019 and in 2021. Jimmy Garoppolo is completing 75% of his screen passes, which is 15 of 20. Um, non-screen passes, he's completing 57.5% of his throws. 50 of 87. So you you ideally want that number to come up. And I think it will. I do too. Right. I think he's it missed, will. He's missed a couple of throws in every game where it's like, ah, it's an uncharacteristic miss. Yeah. yeah. Do we think, do you think that, I have a couple other non-49ers things I want to talk about, um, but I hate jumping right into non-49er stuff. But do you think that the... Um, under pressure, heave up the sideline to a running back, tight end receiver, whoever, to a pass catcher is going to become the norm for the offense? I hope so. <laughs> it like, was thrilling. You mean, you mean like see it done successfully? Maybe not successfully. But just like the, tried the more often? Yeah, no, the throw, the throw to Tevin Coleman is, is obviously the one I'm referencing from the Carolina yeah. game. I don't think I've ever seen Jimmy Garoppolo do that in a non like the the two throws against the Rams in 2019, I think is week 16, where they converted the back-to-back third and 16s. Those yeah, those were that, like necessary. Right. It's like, hey, you have to make this throw, you're going to lose. Right. But in, in it was that first quarter that he hit Coleman? How many times have we seen on that play Garoppolo just take the sack? Like a lot. A lot of times. And this first... time, yeah, hey, chuck it up. See if the guy can make a play. And he did. Only it was Tevin Coleman who hadn't played all year instead of George Kittle or Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk. Trust your guys, man. There are certain elements of Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback, both between the lines and I think outside of the lines where the last two years, particularly since Trey Lance was drafted, he's kind of morphed into, I don't really give a shit guy. (laughs) Like he'll sure. he'll curse in press conferences and he'll maybe make some throws that like I don't really need to impress anybody right now because they right. already drafted my replacement. Right. You know. So and, the, and there is an teams, element of that. 
if other teams are going to give him a contract this year, they got to be like, hey, can you do anything other than throw it between the hash marks? Right. Can you can you make 10 yards on the throws? Field? Yeah. There's a narrative out there that he can't throw outside the numbers. And I would like to debunk it. Would you? Watch the film. <laughs> you're welcome. Plenty of examples. I mean, he can you're do gonna, it. I would me, say gonna, he's not good at it relative to other good quarterbacks. You're going to read off the numbers and I'm going to say nay. Watch the tape. I'm not going to go through the numbers, but <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. I, no, I've done it in the past. Like I, I've, I've written about it in the past and it's like, yeah, he's even when the Niner, like in 2019, he was among starting quarterbacks, just among the lowest. There were the, like the fewest attempts in the league among those guys. Like Jimmy was trying to make those throws. And it, it just wasn't it wasn't part of the offense. If the threat is there, though, because the the Niners offense, so much of their passing offense has been just in breaking rounds. And that's why the Bonte Hill, the the host of the morning roast at 95.7 calls him Jimmy Ono throws. And that's where those come from because it's like, oh, Debo in breaking route. Safety is just going to break on that ball because he knows that's where it's going. But if safety has to look at, get, keep an eye on it and wait a split second because, oh, Brandon Ayuk streaking up the sideline and that's a ball that we've seen him throw on tape. If he has to wait a half a step, those interceptions or knockdowns are completions now. And if you're eliminating that interception, that, that, head scratching throw to a linebacker's chest or a safety's chest. If you eliminate that, that takes away. Where would you rank that in, in among the issues Garoppolo's had number one? Yeah. I mean, the interceptions as a whole, I would put number one, but I don't know that. Do we have any evidence to suggest that he's, that that's going to stop? No, that's why, that's what I'm saying. Like it, the style of court, the style of play is not going to stop. Garoppolo is not going to go. Oh, a safety, a Debo over the middle, safety driving down. Never mind. I'm going to eat this and look elsewhere. But if you can keep that safety back for, like I said, a half half step, that turns into a completion instead of an interception. Yeah, no, I it, think it, you it... can do that via putting a couple different throws on tape. Yeah, no doubt. I, I I also think though that like those are the hardest ones to complete. Like just, I mean, it's obvious. Like the deeper throws are the more difficult ones to complete. But in the context of what Jimmy Garoppolo's season has been like, like you spend a lot of time in training camp working on timing and doing those throws with your guys, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo has been the starter, the starting quarterback for a month now, without any training camp. And so all of this, all this work is coming kind of it like it's, it's not the same as what it would have been if he entered the season as a starter, even if he was participating in training camp as a backup, he would have been getting 25 reps of practice right in full team drills, but he's just not anymore or he didn't this year. So yeah, I think the more diverse the offense can be, the more successful it's going to be overall. And I think that was, you know, we talked about it in the post game pod after the Panthers game, like, 
okay, spreading the ball around to George Kittle, to Brandon Ayuk, to Kyle Juszczyk, to where you're not only force-feeding Debo Samuel makes you more difficult to defend mm-hmm. and makes defenses have to account for more things. And I think ultimately that's the ideal version of the offense that you're going to get is like, all right, snap the ball, two and a half seconds, boom, ball's out. You know, like the 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 passing game is about precision when mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo is in there. And when he can hit his back foot and hit his first or second read and the ball's out quickly, like that's when Jimmy Garoppolo is very clearly at his best. When a block in pass protection is blown and Jimmy Garoppolo has to has to double clutch and reset. Like that's when the oh no throws come. Right. Like when when Jimmy Garoppolo's like hit and avoids a sack and then starts to scramble and keep his eyes downfield. Man, I've sat in press boxes in these games and everybody in the press box is like, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And then boom, it's a pick. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same thing for everybody at home. It's like when you move Jimmy Garoppolo off of his spot and the precision on any certain play isn't there. That's when the big mistakes come. Yeah. The creativity isn't there. Yeah, and so if you can if you can do more schematically, just more diverse stuff and spread the ball around mm-hmm. some more targets, then you open up more opportunities to like it you're you're more difficult to take away certain things. Like a de- it, a defense is going to have a harder time taking away certain things, which mm-hmm. means you're going to be able to be more precise. Right hopefully play to Jimmy Garoppolo's strengths if you're Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Can we talk about a couple of non-49ers things real quick? Sure. The whole analytics in the NFL thing. I don't care about teams using analytics. Do that. I care about the conversation. Because every bad coaching decision now 
is like analytics ruining the game. And like, there's no, it's not, it's not coaches get coaches have a, most coaches, most teams have a guy who has a chart and goes, Hey, and that chart and these percentages are based on a bunch of factors. They go, Hey, if you go for it here, um, and you're successful, your chances of winning are 86%. If you go for it here and you're unsuccessful, it only drops your chances of winning by 1%. And so a coach might go, great, we're going to go for it. Or not. Like it's a gut, it's a gut thing. And the, the idea that every coach is just adhering strictly to some analytics book and there's one version of analytics and one version of win probability models and that coaches don't take anything else into account. Like it's the, I don't understand analytics in depth at all, but I just kind of accept that I know in general what like win probabilities are and what goes into fourth down decision-making and two-point conversion decision-making, et cetera. I just kind of accept that those people are smarter than me and like, okay, teams wouldn't do it if they didn't think it was effective. But when you get like broadcasters and stuff who are just like, oh, the analytics said, like, no, they actually they didn't. And you can go on the internet and see that. It would be nice if during broadcast they had like an analytics expert in the yes. same way that they have a, re- a like a refereeing expert. A thousand percent. Um, because then you could have somebody really break it down instead of somebody, you know, because what broadcasters like to do is when there's a decision that they don't fully understand in the numbers of, they just say, oh, it's analytics and oh, this didn't work, et cetera, et cetera. The thing with analytics that like it's all about probability, right? Like when mm-hmm. you play blackjack and you play it correctly by the book, your every move, every decision that you make at the blackjack table is based on probabilities. Mm-hmm. And you could have a hand where the probability says you win 95% of the time and then you still lose. And that doesn't make it the wrong decision. All of the data, the millions and millions of blackjack hands that have ever been played, there's mountains of data that says, hey, you should do this when this card is up. Like you should, um, when you're showing 15, 16 and the dealer has five, like you stay right. And there's a, a high, mm-hmm. a high probability that the dealer pushes. Well, there's also a probability that the dealer is going to flip over twos and threes until they get 21. And then you lose. That doesn't mean staying was the wrong decision. You just have to play by probabilities. So what ends up happening here is you have a lot of scenarios where people judge the decision based solely off of the outcome, which is a binary, you can say this either worked mm-hmm. or it didn't, right? It's And it's a binary thing. If it didn't work, that coach is a moron. Well, based on all of the information they compiled, and I and none of us know what information they're using or how they compile it, right? the coach could feel like, yeah, we had an 85% chance of being successful if we did this. And then somebody misses a block and it didn't work. And then that's where the other 15% comes in, right? Mm-hmm. There's no, There's nothing that can happen in an NFL game that gives you 100% certainty. Correct. 
except for kneeling on the ball. But even then, like you have to snap it and there's right. a chance you fumble the snap. Right. So, you know, to, to blame every like decision on analytics can be a little bit ridiculous because there's always a negative to an analytical mm-hmm. play. Like you, you what? feel if there's, some there's a situation in a game where you do something and you're 90%, there's 10% chance it fails. And if you happen to fail, then you look like a moron. But it's like, no, we felt like based on all the data we've collected that we had a 90% chance of winning the game based on that decision. And it gets it just gets judged by the outcome, which is fair. Everything we do about the NFL is judging the outcome. But also, like, I'm with you 100% in that it shouldn't just be like, Oh, well, that didn't work. Let's blame the analytics. Well, like, and okay, that's the thing that's... that only happens on negative outcomes. Right. Ravens don't go for it on fourth and five and they get it fourth and five at midfield of a tie game with two minutes left and they get it. Nobody goes, wow, great analytics call by John Harbaugh. It's no, wow, gutsy. You know, it, it's that's. It's it's just frustrating. But there are also scenarios like Brandon Staley in the Cleveland game where he goes for it on fourth and short at midfield going against a backup quarterback with Not no timeouts left. All he had to do was punt it away. We feel like the Chargers have a pretty good defense, right? All the Chargers had to do is punt it away. They have the lead, force the Browns to go the length of the field against their good defense with their backup quarterback and no timeouts to win the game. Instead, he goes for it. And like, we don't, that's not even an analytics discussion. You can just look at all of the factors in the game, what's happening in the game, what personnel the Browns have, what their timeout situation is. And you can say, man, that's a really God awful decision to go for it on fourth down. And Staley's super lucky that, that that the Chargers still ended up winning that game. Yeah, that's a thousand percent what happened. It's... There's also a like mindset from uh, this is just what it's like in baseball, like sacrifice bunting a runner to second. All the data we have, uh, this isn't even analytics. This is just how often to run score. All the data we have over years and years and years say like wasting an out to get a runner to second. I shouldn't say wasting, giving up an out to put, to put a runner on second base doesn't increase your chances of scoring that much based on thousands of games. And in, in some years, your chances decrease to score. So that's that's data-driven. That's just a yes or no, does this work? It's not math. It's not. It's just, it's just hey, does this thing work? But baseball got so, and I'm getting it back to football, so bear with it. Baseball got so entrenched in this idea of like, sacrifice bunt, runner to second. That is way to play. And it turns out it's not the most effective way to play. It's just how the game was done. So what I want to get to with analytics in the NFL is along the same lines. Analytics does not reward um, extending or delaying your loss. Like, you don't get rewarded for getting a game to overtime. Which in the in the Raiders-Chiefs game the other night, the, the Raiders got lambasted because... It was 30 to 29 with like four minutes left. And they went for two to try and take the lead. And they didn't get it. So now it's 30 to 29. It's like, what are they doing? Kick the extra point and then it's tied. Okay, well, guess what? If you here's your here's your 
outcomes here. They go for two, they take the lead. What do they need now? They need a stop, right? Okay. If they get that stop, they run out the last couple of minutes and, and the game's over and they have a win. They kick the extra point. What do they need now? They need to stop. And, and then, to win in overtime. And that, right. Then to either kick a game winning field goal before time expires or go to overtime <laughs> where like your chances could come down to a coin flip. Okay. Or they don't make it. And what do they need? A stop. And then to get into field goal range and make a field goal. Like the, yeah, in if all it, these, it, in all in all these in all these cases, like they have to stop Patrick Mahomes, and going for it is the difference between having a lead and getting a stop and winning, or getting a stop and needing to get into field goal range to try and get the win. If they get the two point conversion, they only need one stop. If right. they kick the field goal, they probably need multiple stops. Yes, which is harder. It's harder to get multiple stops against Patrick Mahomes than it is just to get one stop. So that that's just and that's one example. It was just the hot example of the week and we didn't get to talk about it earlier in the week. So, yeah, I want to talk about it now. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like you get you you play blackjack and I'll play a lot. But like I play, you know, when I'm in a casino, that's what I like to play. And you just learn that, like, you could play a car or you could play a hand completely correct by the book and you lose. <laughs> and that's why. Right. These casinos get built like nobody actually wins money. If you sit down at a blackjack table long enough, you're going to lose. I don't care. I don't care what kind of heater you're on. Eventually, you're not going to be on a heater. You're right? considered there's professional gamblers. I was shocked when I found this out. I was in college. The best. The like, best gamblers. Are good gamblers are like 52 percent, 53 percent. Even sports betters, like the the sharpest of the sharps, are like 65 percent. Right, but they're but to be good at it, it's like, oh, like about how, so a lot of the time you're going to be wrong. Right. Uh, so I and in the NFL, there are even more factors than just the percentages of, you know, is this going to be a face card or not? Like, sure. is you know, is your left tackle going to get beat off the snap? Is is it raining? Is somebody going to slip and fall? Is, um, you know, is somebody going to fall start? Like there's, there's just right. all sorts of different factors you have to account for. And it's hard and it's, but it, it's hard as a coach, but it's easy for us to judge outcomes. Mm-hmm. Of course. And then just and- say, oh, well, I don't really understand what their thinking is here. So I'm just going to say this was analytics and that was dumb. My, my plea here is the reason I bring this up. If you're a person that's anti-analytics, fine. Like, live your life. But before you complain about a, uh, before you blame analytics for a coaching decision or a bad coaching decision or what you perceive to be a bad coaching decision, there are resources on Twitter, on the internet to find, like, should the coach have made the decision he made from an analytics perspective? And I know people who can't stand Kyle Shanahan because of his decision-making and who also think that analytics are ruining the NFL. And analytics guys hate Kyle Shanahan's decision making. So you have to pick one or the other in that case. Because it's not always bad decision equals analytics. That's just I like I said, I, we could we could have hopped on right. and talked about that Monday, but I wasn't gonna Yeah. Wasn't that important to me. It'll be 
like one of one of the big questions I have is just how much the the Super Bowl with the Falcons and Patriots, the twenty eight to three thing, impacted Kyle Shanahan as a coach when it comes to his decision making with the 49ers. Say that again. I want to know how much. Like, I want to give Kyle Shanahan three blueberry Red Bull vodkas and oh, ask him oh, okay. how much the 28 to 3 Super Bowl impacted his decision making in end of half scenarios and fourth mm-hmm. down scenarios with the 49ers. Because and how much is faith in his quarterback? The knock on Kyle Shanahan from that game was he was way too aggressive. He didn't run the ball enough. And now the knock on Kyle Shanahan generally with the 49ers in those situations is he's too conservative. So it's a very interesting correction that Kyle Shanahan has, has apparently made. And and certainly and there's an element of like his trust in Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Mm-hmm. Like clearly a quarterback he's tried to move on from and just can't. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do wonder just how how much like mental scar tissue scar tissue there is for him as a head coach totally given given that it was the biggest blown lead in super bowl history had to be right in relation yes in in relation to that by the way run the ball is not the catch-all solution to every offensive problem ever (laughs) like just wow they should have just run the ball okay yeah it's that easy we're getting deep here we're getting I, deep I just, on football. I, I just now I'm just bitching. I, this has just turned into <laughs> Kyle bitching because he's tired. Um. Uh, one more thing. Last thing. Last NFL related thing. We'll do a Falcons preview pod tomorrow. But the whole roughing the passer thing in the NFL, and the call on Tom Brady against Grady Jarrett and the Falcons, and then that call in the. Raiders Chiefs game where Chris Jones stripped Derek Carr and then got flagged for roughing the passer. Kind of wild. Um, I think at some point, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but at some point it's going to be such that defenders go, screw it. I'm going to earn this 15 yards. Like if I'm yeah, going to get they're flagged, gonna, they, they already get fined. Sure, but I'm going to, like, I think that Grady Jarrett, instead of, okay, I'm going to grab Tom Brady, okay, now I'm going to fall down and make sure I'm falling down on my ass and then rolling over and setting him on the ground. Oh, flag, like, okay, cool, I'm just going to land on him with my body weight. Like, fine. If if the way you're told by the league to do it is not the right way, then... Like I said, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but I think at some point it's going to reach that that level for defensive linemen. The NFL has to make a correction here at some point because, you know, with the benefit of replay, we can really get a good idea of whether or not somebody was roughed and it should have been called a roughing the passer penalty or not. And I think it's a little bit like I'm generally anti-replay, like, I really despise scenarios where every little thing is getting replayed right. and games are getting slowed down and commercial breaks and all of that stuff. Generally I'm against <clears throat> replay, but I think in these situations, because there is so much at stake and because they're the difference between, you know, a sack that could ultimately win somebody a game or a 15 yard penalty, which can lose somebody the game. Like 
I think it's fair to make those reviewable. And like, yeah, you don't yeah. want quarterbacks getting slammed to the ground and you don't want their heads bouncing off the turf. And, you know, you you want to keep these guys healthy because they are so important to the success and, and viability of the league. But you also want... <laughs> these guys are also football players. Like, mm-hmm. there's an element of them being football players and they have to... Sometimes if you're a defender and you're trying to make a game-changing play, you're not afforded the wherewithal to be thinking in your mind like, oh, am I tackling him too hard? Right. Right. Like, oh, like he moved this way. My momentum's going the opposite direction. So I reached out and grabbed him. And now because my momentum was going the other way, I'm spinning the guy. And in order for me to get him down, it looks like I'm just tossing him super hard to the ground where right. all I'm trying to do is just make a tackle for my team, for my career, so we can win and, you know, right. like, and it's completely unfair. And in the Chris Jones situation, it was roughing the passer, but Derek Carr cannot be a passer if he does not possess the football. Right. You can't pass anything that you don't <laughs> have. <laughs> Great point. Like, if you don't have the ball then i mean it was there there has to be right there has to be some level of it that's reviewable right there just needs to be a stupid proofer up in the booth (laughs) who's watching all of these replays and has access to them who can just buzz down and be like nah guys you fuck this up like let's let's get let's fix this call and this is not this is not official stink because the officials are right far more than they're wrong it's an incredibly difficult job but it's like we all can watch the replays and see what actually happened and we have the technology like we should be able at this point given all the technology we have and the fact that there's a replay person up in the booth anyway they should be able to buzz down and be like nah guys like let's fix this and it costs 30 seconds and then you know games aren't ruined and we're not talking about this stuff because it's pretty straightforward we can tell what roughing the passer is and what's just like a normal football play yeah. where guys aren't like deliberately trying to hurt quarterbacks and end their careers. Right. Yeah. Seems easy. It's just right. a ranting session against whining Wednesdays on Candlestick Chronicles. <laughs> We're just going to pick things to complain about and complain about them. Complaining about complaining about analytics. In conclusion, this 49ers game on Sunday is very important because the rest of their schedule is very tough. That's called full circle. Who's going to start at a cornerback, do you think, in place of Emmanuel Mosley? Mm. I think I I think it's Diamond or Lenore. Okay. Uh, so what but- about Nickel? I'm sorry. I didn't mean Diamond or Lenore. I meant Ambry Thomas. Okay. Unless they put Womack back at the nickel and move Lenore outside. But Lenore's been good inside. Maybe they move Womack outside. I think they've moved Womack outside. That makes sense. Um, But I also think Ambry Thomas is good enough last year that and he warrants a look. He does. Especially since Womack's played out, uh, inside. Thomas kind of got buried on the depth chart behind yeah, Womack and Lenore. <laughs> Boy, did he. And there's there's also a possibility that they bring up Dante Johnson. Yeah, great point. 
doesn't sound like Jason Verrett's going to be the guy this week. Although I did think it was interesting that Kyle Shanahan said that once Verrett's ready, like he's there, he's starting. Shanahan loves Verrett. Big JV guy. He loves Verrett. And look, based on what he does when he's healthy, it's easy to see why a coach would love Verrett. Yeah. He's super physical. He's really athletic. Like fundamentally, he's a very good player. Mm Mm-hmm. And a Pro Bowl level player when he's healthy, but it's just impossible to trust. Like we we have the hindsight of like knowing that he tore his ACL in week one of last year, but we also went in knowing like, man, you're really playing with fire. Like having Jason, Jason Verrett as your starting corner. Mm-hmm. But it speaks to how highly Kyle Shanahan thinks of Jason Verrett. Yeah, so, there's like, a timeline. There's a timeline where Jason Verrett's healthy. And what is he, year nine now? This is year nine for him. 2014 draft. So that's eight, nine. Yeah. There's a there's a universe where he's like a seven-time pro bowler and two-time all-pro. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. he's very, very good. Yeah, if he were to stay healthy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't, you're not a first-round pick if you're like a 5'10 corner, if you're not just like elite. Yeah. 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 No um. So... It is interesting, but yeah, I would say I would be stunned given that, you know, he had no training camp. He had no preseason. He's been practicing for like a week. I would be stunned if he was just thrown back out there, particularly on turf. Yeah, there's no chance. No chance. I would go, I would keep Lenore in the slot and I would have Dante Johnson, Sam Womack and uh, Ambry Thomas battle it out. But I, if I had to bet on who I think would win that competition, I think it would be Womack right now. Because okay. they liked what he did in camp enough to feel comfortable with him starting in the slot initially. That makes sense. And we'll see how it goes in practice this week. We will. <laughs> we will. In West Virginia. When I walked into Starbucks today before recording this podcast to pick up my coffee, um, Country Roads is playing. Which I thought was kind of weird. That is weird, considering you're very far away from West Virginia. Well, yeah, but like the Niners, it's, or whatever, man. No, no, um, no. I know it's weird, <laughs> but it's particularly weird, right? Since you're not. Do you think that song gets a lot of burn in West Virginia? Do you think it's like "Don't Stop Believing"? Yeah, probably at bars. Yeah, I definitely think it. I okay. definitely think it does. The nobody wants to be from the quote-unquote country more than people who live east of Walnut Creek. Check that. East of Arinda and west of Stockton. That whole area, people are like, I am country. Check out my lifted truck. I'm like, dog, no, you're not. (laughs) Um, as someone who may or may not have put a lift kit on their SUV in high school, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying at all. <laughs> Do you have subs in the back? Yeah, I had two twelves. Natch, natch. I had two twelves. I had blasters. I had thirty three inch tires, bro. I was I was the oh coolest kid there was. God. <laughs> I rode dirt bikes. I had I had bro. I rode a dirt bike in middle school and high school, and I had 
like FMF stickers and Fox Racing stickers all Who over didn't? my shit. I was man, I was that was cool. Just you like I had I would deliberately like roll down my back window like it was a it was a 2000 something forerunner and I the the back window on the um on the hatch was electric so you could roll it down. I wouldn't bother opening it up opening up the door i would just mm-hmm. roll the window down with my key throw the bag in it so when i started my car up you could hear the subs totally. and then i closed it as i would pull out of the parking lot because i was cool and everybody knew it yeah yeah everybody knew how cool i was because my because my forerunner with the flow masters and the good the one cool the one actual cool thing like the defensible thing so much about you right now oh yeah i was i was that that guy in high school for sure <laughs> um it was a stick shift at least like i drove a five speed and i actually like that was like the the only defensible thing about my whole situation with the forerunner in, in high school looking back at it now i was like man i literally i had a job i worked at a gym all summer and i put all of the money i made into making that forerunner what it was just the biggest waste of money I could ever think of. But at the time I wanted it. I, f- I played baseball. I rode dirt bikes. I was the coolest, the, the coolest Man. kid there was in my own mind. I'm lucky to be in your presence on a regular basis. This yeah. is big time. I mean, generally that's, yeah, you should be. <laughs> should be. That's how I introduce myself to people. Like, yeah, I used to have a lifted forerunner. Yeah. You might know me from my FMS stickers. <laughs> Fox racing, bro. <laughs> okay. This has gone on way too long. I have nothing else to say. Yeah, we will talk. We'll do the Cooperage six pack later in the week. Tomorrow. Well, well, we will record it tomorrow. It'll be out on Friday. Yeah. But by the time you're listening to this, it'll be tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Think about that. Time of the construct. Do you want to talk about what you drove in high school next time we record? I drove a Saturn. Oh, sick. Yeah. They don't make Saturns anymore. They don't. RIP. Damn. Nostalgia. Good little car. Nothing worse than when the homies who didn't have cars were dogging my car. And I'm like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Enjoy (laughs) your puffy. Yeah. You need a ride, bro, or what? (laughs) Minutes. Yeah. 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 Does your joint have a CD player? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, no, I had the tape player that plugged into my iPod. The tape thing with the aux cord coming out of it plugged into my iPod. Yeah, I was burning this CDs. Is, this, okay, same. I didn't, I didn't have that. I still have some of them. Oh, dude, I had... Next time we hang out, we will... Um, we'll hang out and roll through some of my old burned CDs. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm done with that. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. All right. Cooper's Brewing. Cooper's Brewing.com. Drink beer.